this morning before we begin to explore the Paul's opening benediction in his letter to the church in Ephesus, as is our custom, I will bring to you Christian believers this morning in the nation of Libya by way of the voice of the martyrs <clears throat> prayer guide. Christian believers in Libya, they need our assistance in just about any way that we can possibly give it to them, starting first and foremost with our prayers. So the nation I give you today to pray for today and through the following week, please remember them always, are believers in the nation of Libya. They are restricted according uh, to the voice of the martyrs, how voice of the martyrs designates nations either restricted, which I believe is the severest persecution, or just merely hostile to Christianity or other religions. Libya remains in chaos following the outbreak of revolution and overthrow of its dictator in 2011, if you recall. Today, three opposing governments vie for control there. The conflicts have severely damaged the country's infrastructure and have made gospel work in the country extremely difficult. A dozen missionaries have lost their lives that we know of over the last century, and evangelical work in the country is ruthlessly opposed. Christians are a very small minority in Libya, less than 3% known in the population. But their number does continue to grow despite persecution and a rather volatile political environment. Nearly all Libyans are Sunni Muslims. Extremist groups, including the Muslim Brotherhood and the self-proclaimed Islamic State, operate throughout the country. Friends and family also severely persecute converts to Christianity. Life is difficult in Libya all the way around, and the difficulties are compounded for Christian converts from Islam. There are few believers in Libya, and it is extremely difficult for them to practice their faith openly. Christians are rejected by their Muslim family and friends. They are beaten, fired from jobs, sometimes killed. It is unknown whether any Christians are imprisoned in Libya, but it is considered highly likely. Access to Bibles is severely restricted, and they are brought into the country with extreme difficulty and risk. Christians in Libya take great risks just to own a Bible, including digital formats used on smartphones and computers. Voice of the Martyrs supports an online church that allows believers to gather for fellowship and teaching from the safety of their homes. Voice of the Martyrs also supports several evangelists and church planters. So please pray for brothers and sisters in Christ who are living under a very distressing time in the nation of Libya where life is trouble for everyone there. And again, please remember the folks on our prayer list and Jean, who's having her procedure with her heart this week, and our sister Claudia uh, with the doctors wanting another tissue sample, and we pray they find no more uh, cancer. And of course, um, Phyllis and, and Tony, and uh, death of Tony's brother, uh, Phyllis's son. That. Oh, my goodness. Their family is almost like a family I know in Kentucky where it, it's almost like the book of Job. Uh, since we've known these sweet folks, they have had just so many deaths in the family. It's hard, hard, to, hard to keep count. So please, please remember them. Sovereign Lord God, our Heavenly Father, ruler of heaven and earth, we thank you for this beautiful day 
beautiful warm day which points to the world to come in which sickness and death is no more forever please when we encounter days like this by the power of your spirit help us to look to the world to come the perfect world Eden restored where evil and darkness is gone and yes again age sickness disease accident injury death is abolished forevermore and these things are all a thing of the past forever. We pray that you would open our hearts and our minds by the power of your spirit to receive the truth of your word and to live our lives under its authority and under its guidance. To live our lives appropriately in light of the grand plan, the master plan, devised in your mind and your heart from eternity past, which Brother Paul teaches us in this passage today. This is our hope. This is our assurance, your promise, that your chosen people from before the foundation of the world are part of a divine plan that is in action now and that cannot fail and that will be perfectly completed to the letter by you yourself. We pray for our brothers and sisters who are in Libya and for their time of distress and duress. Give them the courage and power of your spirit to meet their daily circumstances with wisdom and with courage. Give them bravery to live the Christian life in a very difficult place. They're difficult for all persons. I pray for that entire nation that their circumstance and situation improves. Life improves for all of those folks there. In particular, of course, our Christian believers, our brothers and sisters in Jesus, and their attempts to spread the gospel and to reach those who are in spiritual darkness with spiritual light to bring them to life in our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for Jean, we pray for Claudia, and for their procedures this week. Give great wisdom and skill to the doctors, nurses, and technicians who are attempting to help them and will help them by your power. May you be glorified in the lives of these sweet, precious saints, in their lives and in the lives of their families. May Jesus Christ be glorified even in these procedures this week. Heal their bodies and fill their minds with the truth of your word and the power of your spirit to be good witnesses and testimonies to folks who they will see in the hospitals, the doctor's offices this week. We rejoice with Lynn and that her body is cancer-free. We love our sister very much. A lot of folks do and need her for a good while to come. Thank you for this good news. We pray for Phyllis and Tony and for the passing of Phyllis's son. Give her the peace which transcends all human understanding and the peace of your spirit which transcends any situation and circumstance which we encounter in this life. We love them very much. We know you love them infinitely and immeasurably. Please be with all of these folks, Lord. We commit them to your care. I commit everyone here who is attending personally this morning and living their life wisely and well for you this week and in the weeks, months, and years to come. And I pray for all of those who are watching and I rejoice in the improved circumstances of some of our friends from a distance who are watching. Thank you for answering our prayers in their behalf. And we pray for whatever circumstances and situations are being encountered by all of these folks who are joining us from a distance. Help us to never lose sight of the forest for the trees. That's what Paul is teaching us. We all smash our faces up against trees. 
on a daily basis. Never let us lose sight for the grand and majestic vision of the forest. The whole plan, the grand plan, from the mind and heart of the sovereign God, Father, Son, and Spirit, from before the universe was created. And help us to navigate our way through this side of life wisely and well by being given, so graciously given, this master plan. May everything that is said and done here in saying be pleasing to you, O Lord, our God. May the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord, our God, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Now let's stand to honor the reading of the word of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 1, today verses 9 through 9a. But I'm going to take a running leap or a running start into the text, pardon the expression. I will begin at the top of the benediction, which is verse 3. As I told you last week, the entire benediction is verse 3 through verse 14. One long sentence in the original Greek. That's why it's so hard to divide this into verses and into nice, neat sections to teach. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, our text for today, verse 9. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us to adoption as sons, through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed upon us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will. And that's the text that we will explore today. These are the inspired words of the Lord. Thanks be to God for them. Thank you, folks. You may be seated. You could entitle today's passage or today's message from unpacking the truth of verse 4 through verse 9a. He chose us, or adoption as sons. So we're continuing on with Paul's rather beautiful inspired benediction. Again, this benediction runs from verses 3 to verse 14. In the original Greek, it's about 202 words, one very long sentence. Although in the original Greek, it is, you will see some, for lack of any other way to call it, stanzas, by which he suggests that this is time for you to pause and to meditate upon what he has written, upon the truth that he is expressing. I crave your patience. This is... Um, a rather difficult passage to divide into nice, neat sections for the purposes of teaching, because in the original language, it is one long sentence. And as you're very well aware of, the versification of the Bible did not take place until the 16th century. So uh, dividing this one long sentence into different verses is a real challenge for all Bible translators, and Bible translators in English or in in any language for that matter. So I appreciate your patience. If you see me dividing up this benediction, sometimes I'll stop or start literally in the middle of a verse because that's where Paul completes a thought and then we proceed on to another thought. With that, verse 4. Just as He chose us in Him. 
before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. With this verse and on through the end of this benediction, of course, verse 3 begins with, Blessed be God, eulogetos, a eulogy, a public praise for God, to God, in behalf of what He has done for us. Paul gives numerous reasons, of course, in this benediction, why we should bless God, why we should praise God, why He is so worthy of our praise and our gratitude. The first here refers to the explicit statement of the sovereign God's choosing of His people in eternity past, before creation, before He created the planet upon which we live. You and I were chosen as part of a divine plan devised in the mind and the heart of the eternal God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Yes, before He even spoke the universe into being, it was all a plan in His mind and His heart, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is probably one of the most foundational, fundamental truths that you are going to ever be confronted with in your life. And this truth that Paul confronts us with having been chosen or predestined from before creation was inaugurated. We are to live our life under the truth and in the truth of that statement, and it is comprehensive. It covers absolutely everything. There's your hope. There's your promise. There's your assurance. There's your peace. If you have received the new birth in Christ, then there is proof positive that you are actually part of a plan from eternity past, devised and decreed by divine fiat. And therefore, you, in the end, cannot fall. This plan does not fall, this plan does not fade, this plan does not fail, this plan cannot be thwarted because it is the decree and the plan of the sovereign being of the universe, Almighty God. That truth right there, if you are a recipient of the new birth, there's your hope, there's your assurance, there's your promise at the end of the day and at the end of the day of days which one day is approaching, perhaps more rapidly than what we may think. This should blow our minds, pardon the expression. And maybe I should just stop right there and let everybody go home and meditate upon this for a long time. Because just in that truth that the blessed inspired apostle gives us, folks, that's for thought to consume you for the rest of your life. And then some. He chose us in Him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, before creation, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Magnificent. It's comprehensive. It covers everything. Just as He... Now let's start unpacking this phrase by phrase. Just as He... In the original Greek, it's the word kathos. You could just... uh, uh, just as well translated as for or because. So you see here, Paul goes um, so far as to give the basis for the praise. He writes, just as or for or because 
He chose us before the foundation of the world. That is a super abundant reason to praise God for this divine plan in which He has chosen you for and made you a part of. He chose us before the foundation of the world. That's reason for praise. He chose us. Chose is eklekato or eklegomai in the original Greek. That's the word that Paul is inspired to use for he chose Eklikato, eklegomai. It means just that. Yes, to specifically choose or select. So he's saying God chose, God select individual believers in eternity past as part of a divine plan, as part of a divine purpose. He chose us individually and he chose us corporately for his plan and for his purpose, for himself. Now, this word, eklegomai, eklikato, it's used all throughout. The New Testament, a corresponding word in ancient Hebrew is used all throughout Scripture to refer to this fact. There are people throughout all of history who have been called by God for His plan and for His purpose. There have been people, individuals, who are chosen as individuals, who are chosen to belong to a people, to a collective or corporate body for God's plan and purposes in and throughout history and beyond. What do I mean when I say beyond? His eternal kingdom, the world to come. God chooses individuals to make up His chosen people. He did that under the era of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. Collectively, they were Israel. And obviously, there are many individuals who God chose in the life of the nation of Israel to serve Him for His plan and His purpose. The same is true in the era of the New Covenant with the advent, the first coming of Christ. We are chosen as the church, the collective or corporate people of God, the body and bride of Christ. And of course, we are chosen as individuals to serve Him in this era of redemptive history. And throughout this letter, Paul will address the individual Christian believer and he will address the collective corporate people of God, all believers, Christ's church. And he'll go back and forth. Now, one example here is he chooses to deal with us corporately or collectively, all believers. He chose us, the people of God, from the old covenant era and the new covenant era to in the end be all one people of God who will inhabit his kingdom in the world to come in eternity. He chose all of us, all of us made up of individuals. God chooses individuals who make up his chosen people in this era of redemptive history, the church for his plan, for his purpose, for history and beyond. And all of this to the last detail, to the last individual was in his mind and in his heart before the universe was ever spoken into being. When there was only God. You and I were there before He ever, by divine fiat, by the power and authority of His divine word, spoke this plan into being. How's that for something to meditate on for the rest of your days? And if you have life in Christ Jesus again, let me hammer it home again. There you were in his mind and in his heart before he spoke the universe into being. There's your hope. There's your assurance. There's your confidence. Part of the divine plan and it will not fail. 
So no matter what you encounter in this life, this side of eternity, yes, we can say it is in the end going to be all right. And that's the understatement of the centuries. Chose us in Him. Chose us in Him. Who's Him? Who is the Him there? Yes, that is a reference to Christ, God the Son. God the Father chose us in Him. Him is a reference, of course, to the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father chose us in Him, in Christ. So you see what he's saying? This is God. He's teaching the doctrine of the Trinity here. This is God the Son's part in God the Father's act of choosing and selecting, of ruminating and devising this divine plan in his mind and his heart before the world was spoken into being. This is God the Son's part in God the Father's act of choosing or selecting. Now, just as the New Testament teaches that God the Son participated with God the Father in creating the world, and the New Testament most certainly does teach that, here, in the benediction in Ephesians, Paul is teaching us that God the Son also participated with God the Father in choosing His people for Himself, for His purpose, for His plan. Now, do you see what also Paul is saying here about Jesus? Jesus was in eternity past with God the Father devising this plan, choosing His people for Himself. So therefore, Jesus was in eternity past. Paul is teaching the pre-existence of Christ, the eternality of Jesus of Nazareth. He is teaching the full divinity of Jesus the Christ, who was one with the Father and the Spirit in eternity past, laying down this divine plan before the plan was inaugurated in creation. So he is teaching Trinity and the full divinity of Jesus here. God's choosing of a people in eternity past is taught elsewhere in the Bible. I will give you just a few references among numerous references. Revelation 13, 8, Psalm 74, 2, 1 Peter 1, 20. There are numerous other places as well. I agree with theologians who believe that there are um, uh, some passages in the Gospels. There are passages in the Gospel of John, which I believe Jesus says, this is all part of a divine plan before the world was spoken into being. If it is not explicitly stated, it is very heavily implied. God takes all the initiative in salvation. God takes all of the initiative in salvation. This is His plan, by His decree, by His power. It is His initiative, by His grace and by His mercy. Or as 18th century hymn writer, former slave trader John Newton would say, amazing grace. Now why? What's all this about? What's the end game? What's the goal here? Paul tells you that we should be holy and blameless before Him. We were chosen in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before Him. This is what you are quote-unquote saved for. We were saved from ourselves, saved from an evil world, saved from the evil one, saved from the judgment of God that all fallen self-worshipping human beings deserve. But sometimes we don't care to recall, what are we saved for? This is what you're saved for. 
for the divine plan, for the divine purpose, that you should be holy and blameless before him, part and parcel of what it means to be imago dei, an image bearer of God. This is what you're saved and chosen for. We're saved from God's judgment. We're saved for the purpose of being holy and blameless before him. Let's pick this apart a little bit. That's a definite, specific goal, is it not? To be holy and blameless before him. Let me paraphrase that for you. To be a fit and proper companion for the eternal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He created us to be sentient beings, physical and spiritual beings, to bear his image, to be fit and proper companions for him in his creation. We must be holy and blameless before him if we are to accomplish that. The purpose for which we were created in the first place. To be fit and proper people, fit and proper companions, fit and proper sons and daughters, as the apostles would say. Fit and proper children of the transcendently holy God. To me, image bearers of God. Remember what the Trinity, the three members of the Trinity, said amongst the being of God in the book of Genesis? Let us make mankind in our image. That's the goal. Now I'll quote to you for probably the 300th time the old Westminster Catechism, which I love so much, and I'll quote it another 300 times, I'm sure. That wonderful question, what is the chief end of man? What's the meaning and purpose of human life? The answer, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's the meaning and purpose of human life. If you're going to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, you must be what? Holy and blameless before Him. If you are holy and blameless before Him, then you are well on your way to being able to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Christ's redemptive work was to make us holy. The new birth is to make us holy. By the atoning work of Christ upon His cross and in His resurrection, it is to give us new life, to make unholy people holy, that we can be on our way to being truly image bearers of God. Holy and what? Blameless. Amomos in the Greek. Blameless or amomos means no stain, no scar, no blemish, no fault, no guilt. That's what Paul means. Christ came to take all of that away in His atoning work on the cross by divine plan laid down from before the foundation of the world. He came to His cross to take away our stains, our scars, our blemishes, our fault, our guilt. He came to make us holy. This is the purpose. This is the plan. This is the goal for and in His eternal kingdom. Now, the phrase there or the two words, in love that most of you have at the end of verse 4, that actually belongs to verse 5. In love. In love He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will. So, once again, in love should probably belong to verse 5. In love He predestined us. Theologian S.M. Ball writes in his commentary, I very much appreciate this remark, the doctrine of predestination, which Paul confronts us with here, the doctrine of predestination to adoption is not some cold, abstract act of an impersonal God, but an act of love, love of an inexpressibly gracious kind for the praise of the glory of His grace, end quote. And the word that Paul is inspired to use there for love is agape, the love that our brother the Apostle John used so many times in his three letters that we explored recently. Agape love and all that it means. The highest, noblest, truest form of love. Love which is of the very nature of God 
himself in which God gives to his creatures. In love he did this. In agape love and all that it means. Predestined. Proarisas. Proarizo. In the Greek. Now what in the world is this all about? What does this mean? It means exactly what it says. Some folks try to dodge around this. I, 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 I cannot comprehend why. Some folks even find this controversial or try to make a controversy out, out of it. Why? Just simply accept the Word of God for what it clearly, explicitly says and teaches. Predestined is proorisos, proorizo. In the original Greek, that means, yes, predetermined. To order beforehand, to arrange beforehand, to ordain beforehand a previous determination about someone or something. Allow me to add a previous determination about someone or something according to a plan. A prearrangement according to plan. That's what the apostle is teaching. And of course, it's very closely related to his earlier statement. He chose us before the foundation of the world. Predestin pro rizzo, it appears only about six times in the New Testament. It's a very important word, but it's a fairly rare word. He predestined us or chose us for what? Paul answers that question. To adoption as sons through Jesus the Christ to himself. He predestined us, chose us beforehand to adopt us as sons, as daughters, as children through or by way of Jesus Christ the Son to himself to God the Father. So God chose us beforehand, predestined us to be in Christ, to have this relationship with Christ, to be bonded and united to the Christ by His work in our behalf. At the same time, He predetermined, chose us to bring us into a family relationship with Himself. He created these sentient beings to bear His image and so to have something of what you and I would identify as a familial relationship with Himself. He created us to enjoy Him and glorify Him forever. He did not create us because He needed us. He did not need us. God was perfectly content and happy before He spoke anything into being. God needed absolutely no one or nothing Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were perfectly happy, perfectly joyful. The eternal being, absolute and ultimate reality. He didn't need us. But He made us anyway. Because He wanted to. Because He wanted to create created beings.